This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 5, Episode 11, Kothon Care. And let's start it off with some announcements. Uh, We just have one announcement for you this week. We are ready and excited to announce uh, that we have chosen our system for Series 6, which we'll be releasing in October. Series six will be Atomic Highway. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> uh, this is a post-apocalyptic setting RPG from Radioactive Ape Designs. It's a super cool system. And on top of that, neither Addy nor myself will be GMing Series six. <gasps> What? We will both be players while the infamous Ryan Covert will be running Atomic Highway. So uh, look forward to that in October. Uh, We will announce the cast soon. Look forward to that and uh, check out the Atomic Highway system. It's pretty cool. So uh, without further ado, uh, now that announcements and reminders are out of the way, let's move on into Words with a GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with a GM is about Series 5, Episode 10, Visiting Hours. It was a pretty great episode. I had a lot of fun. Um, a lot of stress coming uh, my way. I'm not used to having to do stuff in meat space. So that was interesting. <laughs> but luckily for me, it wasn't all action packed. Um, and there was some drama going on, especially between Nim and Dart. A little bit of animosity there. Yeah. Well, Dart wasn't so much keyed into it. It was more like you guys discussing whether or not you could trust D'Artagnan and if you were going to have to kill him down the road at some point. <laughs> yeah, always pleasant, but typical Shadowrunner talk. <laughs> well, you know, you, it's always hard to tell uh, who you can trust and who you can't trust. Um, and I think it's actually uh, a good thing to keep in mind as a GM when you're making NPC allies. Um, not all of them should be like... Bryn, uh, <laughs> where, um, you know, you guys trust him implicitly. It's, it's important that, uh, that anyone who's helping your players along, um, be a dynamic and realistic character. And a lot of times, you know, you don't trust someone you just met, uh, right off the bat with your life. You know, you, it takes a little while to warm up to someone. Um, and, uh, I've always found that if you're not careful as a GM, what you can end up doing is making a uh, making it so all of your NPCs are just kind of mouthpieces for the game master to like give advice and guide the players. And what can happen is like you lose a lot of those like those realistic uh, interpersonal drama 
or a lot of that realistic interpersonal drama of like, do we trust them? Do we not? How much do we tell them? That kind of stuff. Uh, if you're not careful, your players will just go around and like take everything uh, an NPC does or says at face value. And, you know, that that can be useful if you want to trick them once or twice. <laughs> but ultimately, not every NPC has to be either trustworthy or untrustworthy. Sometimes they can be a little more inscrutable and uh, the players have to decide for themselves how far they want to trust them. Yeah, I mean, part of the typical Shadowrun lore is that um, you basically can't trust anybody. Um, uh, one of the like main tropes is that like your Johnson will turn on you uh, at the meet. Um, uh, another trick is uh, letting NPCs have the wrong information. Oh yeah, yeah. Like make making it so you know an NPC is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is how something is, and then just they're wrong, and it's like, well. They gave it their best shot, but also they're, you know, they're fallible as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's, um, a pretty great technique because, uh, especially if you are getting complacent as, um, a team or a, an adventuring squad of some kind, if it's a different RPG, a great tool to use as a GM to get your players kind of like back to like crisp, you know, sharp shape is, uh, to, some have somebody turn on them. For example, we haven't really judged intentions on a lot of people, Maria Silva included, even though we were at her apartment and then got attacked. And I think she's a traitor. Oh, <laughs> mouse doesn't, but I do. So, I mean, there's, there's another thing there, is that there it is that, that good old fashioned, uh, suspicion. You guys can never really know who to trust. Traitor. <laughs> But enough about who's betraying us currently or will betray us in the future. Uh, let's talk about the past and what your favorite moment was from this episode. Uh, my favorite moment uh, specifically was the culmination of the Brint uh, <laughs> prank that Nim set into motion a few episodes ago. Uh, you know, up until now, it's just been Boomer like, randomly saying, uh, correcting everyone who says Brynn just by going, Brynn, Brynn, Brynn. Then finally someone was like, what? And he was like, oh, it's, it's Brynn actually. <laughs> and it just carries out. And, and you guys all just had a lot of fun playing off of each other there and building it up to the point where you made the e-card. Yep. Uh, which, uh, when I was editing this episode through, uh, had me just rolling in laughter. I mean, it was really funny at the time and it still holds up listening to it again. It was, it was great. You will forever and always be our Brent. Uh, so, uh, kudos to everyone there, uh, and special, uh, 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 kudos to everyone there for making uh, making it really fun, and uh, especially to uh, Bree for uh, putting the ball or getting the ball rolling so many episodes ago. Uh, so it's, it's always uh, fun to see your your players just dicking around and playing off of each other and and having a good time. builds builds good team cohesion. <laughs> uh, what about you? What was your favorite part? Um, my favorite part was actually kind of uh, a little bit of our like ineptitude. Um, you really set us up so well. 
because uh, the first time we came to Maria Silva's apartment, it was like, we were like, something's going to go down. Something is happening. This is so easy. This is so weird. And like nothing happened. We like got the data we needed and left without any trouble. And so the next time that we walked in here, we were like, oh, yeah, well, I, I looped the cameras and like, is anyone following us? And then that was it. And then like everything went wrong. Uh, and it was only because of like, you know, I was that I was because I was able to turn on the pie tack that like things d didn't get worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I just love that setup. Good old, uh, it's the, it's the classic, you know, lure, lure them in with a false sense of security. I made the first visit so completely uneventful and mundane that, you know, you guys just assumed this was, such a, uh, this place was so run down and so basic that, uh, you didn't have to be on your toes. Yeah. You were super devious. You fools. Just like Maria Silva. <laughs> oh, you're really holding on to this suspicion you got. Yeah. This completely unfounded suspicion. It's not completely unfounded. <laughs> I have lots of supporting evidence. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe Maria Silva is going to shoot Mouse in the back of the head. Uh, you seem to think that's oh. the case. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's move on forward and, uh, and see how things shake out and listen to series five, episode 11, Kothan Care. Enjoy. It started how it always starts. New team, new Johnson, new job. Except this time it was different. First, the runners. You got mouse, tiny, sweet girl, more than a little funny in the head. But that doesn't matter much, considering she's the best fragging Decca I've ever seen. Then there's Kashmir, about as green as they come, clearly out of his element. But when the cards were down, that boy proved to be one hell of a mage. Then you have Bumbles, Elf, Dryad, uh, eccentric. If you're being polite, you command an entire arsenal of drones with enough firepower to level a whole fragging city block. He's the kind of runner you hope you don't need on a job, but if you do, you're fragging glad to have him around. Then there's me, a big red oni named Boomer. My specialty is sneaking in, geeking anyone in the way, and, as the leader of the group, keeping those three in line. Next, the Johnson. On the surface, sounds pretty straightforward. The next runner called Pretty B. Fell off the grid a few years back, but I didn't ask why. I'm a professional. Not a line of work, people are entitled to the secrets. Weird thing was, he was paying his hand over fist to help people. Had his clearing out ghouls from the sewers and Redmond, for frag's sake. Like I said, weird. But it's not often you get a line of jobs with a little bit of honor in them. So I was on board from day one. After a while, we earned Brin's, I mean Pretty B's, trust. And he let us meet his employer, Lawrence Whitmore. Mr. Whitmore was the last genuine anti-establishment businessman, according to my friend Doc. Publicly, Mr. Whitmore had retired a long time ago when he was like really young, but he didn't really. It was all a ruse and in secret, he started shadow running against the corporations. When he got too old to keep running, he switched to being a Johnson and hired a team of runners to continue the work he started. But not us. We come way later. The runners he hired back then were Bryn's team. Bryn, his sister Enna, 
an elf named Lariel, and an adept named Jason Black. Bryn told us that all of them had died a long time ago, and that's why Mr. Whitmore was looking for a new team. And that's when he found us. We could continue his mission to protect those who couldn't protect themselves, especially from the corporations. I learned from Doc that when you have the chance to do something good for somebody else, you should do it. So of course I agreed to help. Unfortunately, no good deed goes unpunished, and no organization rises without inspiring a rival. Havoc 66 arose as a dark mirror to Whitmore and Bren's work, led by a madman called Hellion. It didn't take long before Hellion found out about us, and we learned that there was quite a lot that Whitmore wasn't telling us. Like that Hellion was actually the not-so-dead Jason Black, the very one that used to run with Bryn. Hellion had turned on his old team, slaughtering them as he defected from Whitmore's cause, which we would learn much later was because he wasn't just operating alone. See, the funny thing about magic is, those of us who are able to harness it are as much under its influence as it is under ours. Hellion had gotten into bed with the wrong kind of spirit, a toxic one. Uh, the spirit drove him mad, uh, desiring only destruction. It took Whitmore's anti-corporation agenda and uh, perverted it, uh, causing Hellion to see violence as the only solution. But before we had a chance to prepare for the coming onslaught, Hellion made his move against the corpse and Whitmore. He broke into the estate and murdered Whitmore right in front of us. Then he stole Whitmore's personal shuttle, blasting off into space. See, Hellion had set into motion a series of events that gave him the opportunity to hit the corporations where it would hurt them the most. Now the thing about AAA Corps is they're much too big to take down. That said, they did put quite a few of their eggs in one basket, Zurich Orbital Station. The station is, was, a seat of power for the AAAs. The Matrix, their bank, and even the corporate court was housed there. Like I said, a lot of eggs in one nice mid-sized space basket. Hellion's plan was to take over the station and crash it on Seattle. Not quite an extinction level event, but certainly a global catastrophe. Naturally, the only reasonable thing for us to do was follow him up into space and stop him. Which we did! Sort of. We definitely took Hellion out, just not before he had done enough damage to the station to send it careening earthward. But with a little help from Mouse, we managed to make the whole space station rigger interface. That's right. For a few glorious minutes, I was a space station. While rigged in, I had to break poor Zurich Orbital apart. It fell into the ocean in little bitty pieces, causing basically no damage at all. And we became global heroes. Except no one knows, because we're shadow runners, and the corpse would love to pin this on us. So we decided to lay low in Whitmore's mansion. It was the only sensible choice. That's where we've been since then, keeping our heads down while Bryn lines up the next job. And that's where I come in. This crusade Whitmore started is more than just a mission. It's my legacy. My name is Nim, and Lawrence Whitmore was my father. Whitmore sacrificed everything for his crusade against the corpse, including his relationship with my mother, Lauriel. I never understood how he could just neglect us for his greater purpose. When I was old enough to join his team, he didn't offer, and I didn't ask. 
Some people would consider that a lucky break for me if they knew what happened next. When Jason Black murdered my mother, I faked my death and fled overseas. And it wasn't even hard considering my ability to magically impersonate literally anyone I meet. I needed to start a new life as someone else, to get away from him and, well, everything. I never understood how important my father's mission was until after he died. And then it was too late. It wasn't really a decision to come back to Seattle. It was something else, an, an imperative. I have to try to make things right in whatever way I can. I returned to the manor and met Bryn's new team. And apparently the mage they've been running with, this cashmere guy, ended up just like Jason. He turned toxic, betrayed his team, and ran away. I can understand why they've had some trouble trusting me. It took me this long to start letting people back into my life after a toxic mage tore it apart. Hopefully, they're not as slow on the uptake. The last time we left Crash 3.0, uh, they had taken a bunch of supplies from an Evo shipment uh, to disguise their true intention of hitting the, the shipment, which was to scan a package that was not on the manifest and was slated to be delivered automatically to Project Zoria, the clone program that created Mouse. Um, they got the location of Project Zoria. Turned out it's at the bottom of Lake Washington uh, and then made away with several cases of random cyberware materials and some bioware growth medium. Uh, they uh, many are Bumbles and Boomer uh, went under the knife at Doc's clinic to improve a bunch of their cyberware. Nim and Bryn got stuck in a prank war. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Mouse managed to cook several batches of cookies without burning them. And then they got a call from Maria Silva, the Lone Star detective that they had uh, made an alliance with to hunt down D'Artagnan because she blames D'Artagnan for the death of her partner, Zachariah Wells. Crash 3.0's investigation uh, led them to believe that uh, whether or not Dart did kill Zachariah Wells, it's very likely that Zachariah was not in his right mind, uh, as he did bear the mark of uh, an entity they are calling the Great Corrupter, a mythical creature of some kind that uh, D'Artagnan seems to have more information on, or at least a way to get more information on. D'Artagnan was willing to work with them and uh, is trying to speak to his masters to try and gain, gain Crash 3.0 access to his home so that they can speak to the Grand Master about the Great Corrupter. But uh, in the meantime, Maria Silva did call the team in specifically because she thought that D'Artagnan had a hand in the robbery of an Evo shipment. <laughs> Um, while they were discussing this with Detective Silva in her apartment, uh, it was assaulted by uh, what seems to be a highly trained elite squad of Evo soldiers. The team took out the four that were breaching the apartment, avoided the group that was coming up the stairs, uh, and found themselves on a more or less abandoned floor of this apartment complex that is currently being uh, reconstructed. Boomer, Maria, and Mouse down the hall from uh, the Evo operative clone 
uh, Echo, two people in hardened mil-spec armor with Gauss rifles, and three soldiers in uh, security SWAT armor. They were told to drop their weapons and stop. Uh, Bumbles, who was around the corner, obviously did not reveal himself. And Nim, who had doubled back to make sure to grab D'Artagnan's Wakazashi from Silva's apartment, uh, is now entering the elevator on the 59th floor on the other side of the building uh, to, uh, as the Evo team seems to have disabled the uh, elevator that was nearest Maria Silva's apartment. Uh, yeah, so uh, Maria, like I said, dropped her gun as soon as this uh, new squad popped out in front of you guys uh, through the tarp leading out to the scaffolding. Um, uh, Boomer, you said you set mouse down? Yeah, I uh, I turn around, set her down behind me, and then turn back around to face uh, Echo. I'm going to start sneaking away from the direction of the team and Echo. Sure. Um, I'm going to stop Spot chasing the car. I'm going to bring the swarm up and try and position them to have a line of sight on Echo and her team. And from my meta link, I'm going to call Bryn. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Spot breaks pursuit off of the uh, disguised Evo van. Uh, it goes careening away with its one flat tire. Uh, Spot uh, stops and repositions and the swarm lifts up. Um, the swarm does uh, put all of the, the directional jammers so as to best protect them from any kind of hacking attempt. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah, they can point them in a few different directions, uh, namely down as they are lifting up very high into the air to try and get some kind of shot over an eight-block distance. And they have to raise up 20 20 stories, basically. So they're doing that now. Uh, Where are you sneaking off to? If I'm understanding the building correctly, it's like a large rectangular hallway with sort of structure in the center. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the building itself is a square. Uh, you guys came up basically in a corner of the building. That was the, where the stairwell and the elevator are. So, uh, you're in one corner of the building and the team Um, and echo are, are just like uh, down a hall from that corner. So if you were to go the other way, Uh, yeah, I'll go the other way. Okay, cool. Yeah. As you do, you hear the boots uh, coming up the stairwell getting louder. Yeah, uh, I try and get around the corner. From yeah, the corner <laughs> you're quickly. sneaking up far enough away. Also, a lot of these apartments are uh, open and uh, gutted. This it seems like this whole floor, the whole 20th floor, is being uh, refurbished. Okay. Um, if I think I can do it quieter and faster, I'll go through apartments to get out of the way of those boots. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead and roll a, a sneaking test for me. That's four hits on sneaking. Oh, yeah. You you duck in and uh, and start like zigzagging through apartments uh, to get away and dial up Bryn. Um, Nim, are you doing anything in particular? Uh, you've climbed in the elevator. Are you going to the ground floor? What, do you have a, somewhere else you wanted to go? I, I will head down to the ground floor. Uh, and as I do, I'll also just shoot Bryn a message that says like 911. Sure. In the standoff, uh, Echo speaks. She says, you guys are basically standing like 25, 30 feet apart from each other. And she says, this could have gone differently, Juliet. Now, you and your friends 
are going to be coming with me. And she uh, presses a couple buttons in her AR, uh, and Mouse, you see as three marks appear on Bumbles's RCC. Uh, Do I see that? I mean, yeah, probably. Mouse can very easily relay that to you with just a thought. Countering it would require you to use like your hands and mess with your AR, but can I ask Kreflin to go work on those on those uh, erase those marks? Yes, you could send Kreflin to do that. Yeah, so uh, Kreflin goes to work on those marks. Okay, go ahead. as quickly as possible. Yeah, go ahead and roll uh, Kreflin for erase mark. Uh, Kreflin got six hits. Okay, uh, Kreflin removes one mark. Uh, yeah, and then I think at Bumbles that, like, she's got marks on you. Turn off your RCC. Okay. Do I feel secure in my sneakiness? Uh, yeah, I mean, you feel like you've gotten a pretty good, like, hiding spot. And I mean, if you want to continue moving, you feel like you could do that, too, at this point. Okay. Um, I trust Red Leader to hold it down in the meantime. Um, I'm gonna turn off my... RCC and pop it open and make sure nothing's hinky in there. Okay. So, uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, I tell them to keep everyone safe. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you turn off and open up your deck. You see, uh, Echo kind of like shrug a little bit, like, huh. And then she like pans in her AR a little. And then, uh, she goes, well, now you and your friends are coming with me. Uh, I have no need for the detective. Shooter. No, wait. Uh, <laughs> she says that to uh, one of the uh, one of the guys in mill spec with the Gauss rifle. Uh, and you say no, wait, and he doesn't hesitate. He like press, you know, he had the rifle kind of like at half half drawn. He raises it up, pulls the trigger, a shot fires out. And one of the uh, doors nearby pops open. Uh, the door between you guys and Echo pops open. And you see a blur and a flash of steel. And you hear ping. And standing in between you guys and Echo is D'Artagnan. Katana drum. <laughs> We're super good at this. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, uh, the, like everyone, like there's a moment of pause, like the guy shot one single shot and then that happened. And like, he like hesitates just for a second. And then, uh, uh, echo reaches and presses, uh, grabs his gun and like pushes it down. And like, he turns to her and she goes, dart, I, and she seems like a loss for words. And D'Artagnan like stands up straight. You know, flourishes his blade a little bit, stands, uh, he's about like 10 feet in front of you guys. And, uh, he goes, these people are under my protection now, Echo. If you want them, you'll have to finish what you started and kill me. And Echo sits there for a second. You see the soldiers in the SWAT armor kind of like look at each other through the corners of their eyes. One even deigns to turn his head slightly to try and like get a like glimpse of Echo and see what's happening behind him. Have Hop I gotten it. through to Bryn? Uh... It's, uh, yeah, Brim picks up, uh, as, I, you're, as you're setting your RCC back in and like screwing it back into place, uh, Brim goes, what's going on? Um, here. And I share, you know, the last 
30 seconds of DNI and also tell him there's a van with a wheel shot off. It was last over here. It's driving around. It looks like this and this is its license plate. Okay, so you start feeding him information. Um, and uh, the, the silence holds just for a second longer and then Echo breaks her gaze with D'Artagnan and goes, abort, pull back. And uh, the person who she had ordered to shoot turns, like just full on turns and looks at her and goes, sir, through his like mil-spec mask. And she goes, I said, get your men out of here, Sergeant, now. And uh, they all sit there for a second. And then the other guy in the mil-spec armor drops to a knee and presses like a, an ear comm and is like, we need evac. <laughs> and uh, you guys hear. Uh, as a helicopter starts getting closer and closer. Um, and uh, uh, they sit there waiting, staring at you. And uh, D'Artagnan stands perfectly still watching as Echo stares at the ground. And then the the tarp behind them starts flapping as the helicopter gets into position behind them. And uh, uh, they start like she starts moving back with with the two mil spec armor guys. And then the three like SWAT armor guys stand up and start backing up while still pointing their guns at you. And uh, at this point, um, Bumbles, you've gotten your RCC back together. You reconnect with your drone squad. Uh, Yeah, I get as good a target lock on something vital to its continued flight as possible okay uh go ahead and roll for target lock uh that's six hits you you command your swarm to lock on to the uh to the chopper and uh uh there's like a bit of a pause and then red leader goes unable to target lock firewall excessive <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. And they climb in and the helicopter starts lifting off uh, and then D'Artagnan sheathes his sword and turns back to you guys. Um, as it's taking off, I just, quick team conference, do you want me to shoot him? Should I? Yes? No? Kind of need an answer now. I'm not going to say no. That means yes. Yes. All right, that's three out of four. Um, yeah, I, I shoot a rotor, preferably the, the one on the tail that's vital to keeping from spinning around ineffectively <laughs> okay uh go ahead and take the shot you are shooting at a moving vehicle uh so that's a minus two and you are at long range for a sniper rifle so that's an additional minus three so total of minus five okay uh that's three hits uh so you give the targeting uh you give the the like attack order and uh red leader goes firing now and then there's a as uh the gauss rifle shoots um and just barely like uh you see the uh you see the helicopter like kind of dip down and and pitch to one side and it just barely shoots past and like clips off the corner of the building um and uh when that happens you see d'artagnan like flinch and turn and like pull out his sword again and goes what's going on Oh, we're trying to get last couple pot shots. Don't worry about it, Doc. Um, but can we talk about how you deflected a fragging gun? We can talk about it later. Tell your tell your people to stop shooting. We we, we don't want them to come back. 
Uh, I also, obviously, am watching them fly away and feeding that to Bryn. Yeah. Also, from your drone's elevated position, you can see the swarm of night errant cars uh, with lights flashing, zooming in towards uh, towards this position. All right. We need to get out of here. I got a place you can stay. Uh, D'Artagnan grins and goes, I might have a place you guys can stay. Looks like we've all got a place everyone can <laughs> stay. And and uh, and then you guys uh, turn and you see Maria Silva has her pistol drawn and is pointing it directly at D'Artagnan. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I get between the two. The swarm's going to rejoin Spot and they're going to meet in the middle in terms of altitude. Sure. Um, Spot's going to fly and pick everyone up here. Okay. Uh, yeah, Maria is pointing. She's picked up her pistol. She's pointing it at D'Artagnan. Her her hand's kind of shaking. Am I still in the elevator? What, <laughs> <laughs> what, what floor am I on? <laughs> uh, you're actually approaching floor number 20. Perfect. I'm hitting that button. <laughs> Repeatedly. Open door. Open door. <laughs> yeah. Bing. You're on floor 20 now. Uh, D'Artagnan looks perplexed at uh, Maria Silva pointing her pistol at him and uh he goes hello <laughs> hold, hold on hold on let's not point anything at anybody let's talk like reasonable adults that's saying something coming from me she pulls back the hammer and starts pointing the gun at you boomer and backing up and pointing it at dart and like backing up as she does and she's like You've been playing me from the beginning. You were with him no, all no, along. No, 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 no. It's not like that. Stop. We'll get you to a safe spot. We'll figure everything out. Right now, I just need you to stop pointing guns at people. Uh, at this point, uh, Nim, you come around the corner. Uh, since given the elevator you took, you could come around closer to where Echo and them were and be behind Boomer and D'Artagnan, or you could come around the other way and be behind uh, Maria. I'm going to come around the other way and be behind Maria. Okay. You're trying to sneak up on her, or are you just coming around? Yeah, I'll sneak up on her. Okay. Then you got to roll a sneaking test, then. This is a bad idea. Three hits. You're So you're sneaking up on her. She doesn't seem to notice you, but you're not necessarily sure if you're being like, silent as the wind you know approaching her <laughs> so like you you feel like you you only have like a brief moment before she like gets wit like realizes there's someone approaching from behind i'm gonna hit her with a trank patch okay <laughs> yeah we don't have time for this you know nobody got time for this yeah you do. so she's she's panning boomer's got his hands up d'artagnan's kind of sitting there he hasn't let go of his katana but he's also not like necessarily being threatening uh and you guys see as a uh, nim sneaks out around the corner and like rushes up and like right as she like pulls the the lacing off of her trank patch like maria like kind of like starts to spin to point her gun in that direction to see who is coming and that she just gets trank patched right on the neck and uh and like she's like her finger like slips off the trigger the trigger of her pistol and then she kind of just woozes over i catch her <laughs> at this point spot has made it to the scaffolding yeah, I come out. Now, if everyone could please step onto the flying tank, I will get us out of here. <laughs> the yeah, door well, opens invitingly. Arf! 
Arf. If you've been wounded or need medical care, there's a hospital in the back. Well, thank you for flying Bumble's Airlines. Everyone, please get in. Let's go. Let's He's go. Like there's a lot of cops. <laughs> I carry Maria and uh, I help I help Mouse to the... Sure. Maria and over I, one I shoulder. It. Mouse's arm intertwined with yours. You uh, you are able to assist her into spot. Um, getting a clean getaway here is going to be hard, wheel man. Yeah, that's fine. Are you planning on getting back <laughs> on the ground or are you trying to... I'm going to get us over the the KE perimeter they've no doubt assembled and then try and land as inconspicuously and out of the way as possible. Okay, so you're, so spot is very obvious flying through and they will see you if you try to fly over them. Okay. Uh, the perimeter hasn't quite been like established at oh, this point. Okay. They're just approaching from from cool. one, yeah. one then side. Then I will land. Okay. So yeah, uh, you zip like down like a block and like land as you do. Um, I'd like to cast vehicle mask at four seven. Sure. I'm gonna edge that. Four hits. All right. Uh, spot gets down. Nim uh, closes her eyes, touching uh, the interior spot, and uh, she doesn't quite get to change him from looking like a large SUV, but she does, like, change the color and, uh, like, the rims and uh, the slight, like, he's definitely different brand. That's fine. There was a flying SUV over the city last year, and they're probably looking for that one more than this one. <laughs> I resist all the drain. Okay. Uh, yeah, so now spot looks slightly different. Um, as you guys, uh, uh, start driving off bumbles, I'm going to need an intuition driving test from you, uh, to see if you can, uh, find a route th that doesn't pass directly by night errant as they are approaching primarily from like the, the whole Northern 180. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I got two hits. Uh, Bumbles, you're trying to, you know, drive casual. Uh, D'Artagnan, meanwhile, is uh, uh, helping Mouse into the uh, Valkyrie mod in the back. And he goes, nice wheels from the inside. It looks good. It's a very nice car. I haven't had the chance to really repair it, though. It did look a little, uh, a little torn up. It got very shot in that um, highway robbery we did. So, uh... Who's this? And he points at the unconscious Maria Silva. Oh, that's a detective we met who's looking for you. Interesting that you didn't mention that before. Uh, remember when we were asking if any of the Mizashi clan would try to kill someone who had been corrupted by the great corrupter? Yes. Her partner was murdered and he might have had the mark of the great corruptor burned onto him. Right. You did mention a name before, Zachariah Wells. I'm assuming this is the same man? You got it. Well, he was never one of my targets, but after you mentioned the name, I, I tried to figure out why it was familiar, and it's because he was in the report. That was me. Uh, I, was, I was attacking a uh, my targets were two Yakuza bosses. Uh, turned out into a firefight. He, if he's a mage, I believe I do remember him. Uh, he was there seeming to make a deal with the Yakuza uh, when I struck. What kind of a deal? 
I didn't listen in too intently. I just had my targets, but some kind of it seemed like a dirty cop when I when I uh, approached. Some kind of deal for like he gets paid and they don't get caught. Basically, was he caught in the crossfire? No, he didn't run. I see. So this place you mentioned that you wanted us to take everyone. Yeah, everyone on your team, not Miss Silva here. As long as we have somewhere to put her. We we dragged her into this. We can't just leave her out on the streets. Uh, Bumbles, as uh, you turn a corner, you see that uh, the perimeter was able to be set up a bit wider than you anticipated. Okay. And uh, you will have to go through a checkpoint here. All right. Um, hey, Nim, get in the rigger cocoon. Yep. And I hop out and I continue to drive Spot from the back seat. <laughs> sure. Uh, Spot the white SUV with a red racing stripe down the middle <laughs> uh, pulls into the line of this checkpoint. D'Artagnan stashes Maria behind the back seats and then like sits down, buckles himself in. <laughs> you guys pull up. Uh, you're like third in line for first car goes, second car goes, and, uh, you pull up and, uh, the night errant officer, uh, walks up to the window. It opens up. Rigger cocoon opens up. Nim, you're sitting there. And, uh, he goes, all right, registration, please. Uh, for everyone in the vehicle. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, guys. Yeah, I hand over my rating for fake ID. Okay. Same. Does Dart have one? Yeah, Dart has one. Great. <laughs> Dart Dart presents uh, a very good-looking uh, fake ID. Oh, he- here you go, officer. I also have taken off my jacket and put it on my leg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like he's not like leaning into the car, or, like looking like all the windows are still tinted, so like he can really only see through the the driver window. But, like, you know, he just kind of, like, looked and, like, kind of got a glimpse of everyone who was in there. And so he expects that many, like, fake IDs to pop up. And sure enough, you guys all broadcast your IDs. He, like, uh, sits there and he, like, has a little, like, data pad, you know, which is, like, uh, running all the different uh, different things on it. And, um, and then he, like, kind of sits there for a second and uh, uh, presses a couple buttons on his data pad and he goes... Bodhi. I think I, I think I know a Bodhi. Are you, are you related to, uh, Maxine? Maxine Bodhi lives up in Everett. Oh yeah. Maxine. She's my cousin. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I met her at, uh, at uh, the Christmas party for the force, uh, uh, last year. Really, really, uh, really cool person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't talked to her in a while. She doing all right. Uh, well, I haven't seen her since the party. Uh, we're in different districts and all. Um, Tell her Billy said hi. We spent most of the night uh, uh, chatting about, uh, you know, shooting the shit, talking about stuff. Oh, you spent most of the night chatting, huh? I know Maxine. Well, I know what that means. <laughs> he grins. He's like, like I said, tell her I said hi. Uh, and he goes, hey, here, I'm going to let the boys know uh, to uh, give you guys green light going through. We have a couple checkpoints set up. Thanks, Billy. Really appreciate that. Yeah, well, put in a good word for me with your cousin, eh? Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> He waves you guys through and you see him like grab like uh, his comm link and be like, yeah, this, you know, he reads off your license plate. He's like, uh, friend of the force, go ahead and give him a green pass. 
Yeah, I drive us through. Yeah, so you, this is uh, getting up to uh, getting up to Bellevue. You do see another checkpoint that's been set up, and uh, uh, as you like get into the line, um, someone looks over and and sees you and like kind of waves for you to like go through it uh, around the like around the checkpoint, so you can drive off. Cool, we do. And once we're clear, I get back in the rigger cocoon. Also, Bryn calls you guys up to check in. Hey, we're fine. Ish. I I mean, Mouse is shot. Again? (laughs) I didn't do it this time. Someone else shot her this time. (laughs) Tell Doc it wasn't me. I don't shoot anything, so, you know. Sucking up over here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look at at Miss. I'm better than everyone. I don't shoot her. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it's an acid. I just, I don't, I've got a gun. I kind of know how it works. I don't really like to use it. Brent, did you call for a reason? Uh, yeah, I was looking for a sit rep. Uh, it seemed like things were pretty hairy. You guys made it out? Yeah, we met a friendly ninja who uh, helped us out. And I, like, point the camera over at D'Artagnan. <laughs> ah, the fabled D'Artagnan, I see. And uh, he goes... Ah, I don't think I was given your name. You guys are full of surprises. He goes, you can call me Mr. Johnson. And uh, he goes, ah, well then, Mr. Johnson. Uh, yeah, I uh, am interested in your team and what they have to offer. And he goes, well, uh, they've kept me uh, apprised of this situation so far. So uh, where, what's your guys' next move? Did you find anything out? What, what happened with uh, the detective? Is she okay? She's, yeah, she's fine. We we had to trank her. Nim tranked her. I <laughs> had to trank her. Why did you need to trank her? I she wants to kill our friendly ninja friend, <laughs> and she wouldn't sort of drop it in the immediate moment of us running away from the cops. Uh, Nim kind of made the smart move and tranked her so we could talk it out later. Ah, all right. Well, bring her by the mansion. We can talk to her. I've done a thorough background check on her. She checks out. One of the few Lone Stars with a heart. Yeah, I'd like to meet D'Artagnan in the flesh anyways. You want us to bring the Lone Star detective to the mansion? Yeah, Boomer, like I said, she checks out. <laughs> You're the boss, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> he locks eyes with, <laughs> with Nim <laughs> and raises an eyebrow. <laughs> and he's like, I'll see you guys when you get here. And he turns off the camera. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I, agree with his decision, but I respect him enough to go with it. So we'll take it back. I don't, wherever Bryn says we should drop yeah. these new weird people off, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, if Bryn, if Bryn invites someone to the mansion, they're just invited to the mansion. It just, it just happens. Cool, yeah, I take him to the mansion. I park in the garage. We go wherever Bryn is. He's waiting out uh, by the fountain. Uh, and as you guys pull up, D'Artagnan's like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> Nope. Awesome, huh. ain't it? It's pretty awesome. Uh, you gotta wait till you see my gym. I think you'll really like that. And uh, you guys pull up, and uh, uh, Bryn is uh, is sitting there. D'Artagnan gets out. You hear Maria starting to like stir a little bit. I'll stay with Maria. And uh, D'Artagnan walks up to Bryn and reaches out a hand. Bryn shakes it. And goes, your reputation precedes you, D'Artagnan. And, uh, and he goes, and D'Artagnan like shrugs and goes, people like to tell stories. And uh, he's like, well, let's get inside before uh, 
Maria wakes up. We can set her up in the clinic. Yeah, it's probably a good plan. I carry her to the clinic. I'll stay with D'Artagnan in the study. We can talk a bit. Uh, you guys can handle Maria? Yeah. Sure. Uh, see if uh, you can talk her into working with D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, I'd like to hear your side of the story. And uh, he leads D'Artagnan into one of the drawing rooms. And you guys have Maria in the infirmary? And uh, yeah. yeah, she starts to wake up. And she then sits up kind of with a start. And like her hand instinctively goes down to where she keeps her service weapon, which obviously it's not there. I've got my hands up in front of her. And I say, it's okay. You're safe. We had to get out of there. Knight Errant was coming. What's going on? You guys... I thought we were working together to find D'Artagnan and what, you're working with him? For how long? Not before we talk to you. After. Definitely after. After we talked to you the first time. That's when we met him. And she like kind of like looks like a little inflamed by that and goes, and the hit on the Evo caravan? We might have been involved with that. Nothing crazy, <laughs> you know. The, the woman who was pointing a gun at you with, you know, those other guys in... You mean the one that looks exactly like Mouse? Yeah. She's, she's with Evo. So you're connected to Evo? What, you have a, a family business there? What's going on? You guys are no. hiding too much. I don't even know where I am. I'm mad. I want some answers. All right. Let me start at the beginning. This is Mouse. Mouse is a clone. I wave sadly. <laughs> Evo is cloning people. That's why Echo, the operative, looks like Mouse. Echo tried to kidnap Mouse earlier, so we've been looking into Evo, which led us to D'Artagnan, which led us to you. And then based on your information, we tracked down D'Artagnan, we talked to him, he knew Echo and wanted to get to know us better. And in order to get further towards Evo and help out our friend Mouse, who is a clone, we helped D'Artagnan rob that convoy so that we could be like battle brothers or whatever, so he would trust us. And after we did that, you called and we met you because you wanted us to find D'Artagnan and you didn't really provide an opportunity for us to like get a word in and say, hey... We did. Um, but then uh, the Evo operative, Echo, the clone of Mouse here, came to your apartment, tried to kill all of us, and then you were sort of holding a gun, trying to shoot D'Artagnan in a situation where we did need to leave very quickly. So Nim here tranquilized you, we put you in our flying car, drove you back to this mansion, you're in Bellevue. Now we're in a clinic talking. I've brought you up to speed. Any questions? It, I it also should be mentioned that D'Artagnan kept a Gauss rifle round out of you. You know, you should yeah, say thank you. Yeah, and my name's Nim, by the way. But that's it. I promise. That's it. That's all we've got. <laughs> Cards on the table. <laughs> uh, Bumbles, you are the lead negotiator here. <laughs> uh, uh, Boomer and Nim, you guys are assisting him. Nothing for Boomer. Five hits for Nim. You get to keep as many of those as you have negotiation. Cool, two. <laughs> two. I guess we could probably just trank her and start over. <laughs> she looks around, looks at all of you, and then bolts for the door. Wait. 
Look, mate, if you want to run out, whatever. Where? You're safe here. Are we all behind her? I assume she was on an operating table and you guys were all standing around her. Great. I want to close the door. Step in between her and the door and close it. Sure. Just hold on for one minute. I promise. I know it looks like we're holding you hostage. We're not holding you hostage. I promise that's not what's happening here. But we have to work with D'Artagnan. I don't particularly like it either. But that's what we need to do to get the answers we're looking for. And I promise that we are telling the truth. Mouse is a clone that should be something in a sci-fi novel, but it's not. Apparently it's happening, and it's happening to people I know and care about. And Evo has something big up their sleeves. So we, we need D'Artagnan. We need to find out what he knows and what the Mazashi clan knows. And why is this D'Artagnan character trying to fight a clone army? Because he's in love, I think. What, with you? Ew. (laughs) (laughs) Well, kind of, but not me. (laughs) The the other, they got in a fight that I've only seen people who who love each other get in. Boomer, did you grab Maria's gun? Yeah, I have it. Can you give it back to her, please? I hand it to her, and I request politely that she does not use it on any of us. (laughs) We're not your enemies, Maria. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot one other thing. Um, Apparently, there's a toxic spirit called the Great Corrupter, which occasionally just sort of latches onto people and makes them turn evil and do bad things, like kick a space station to death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you also forgot the base under the lake, but I figured that we weren't telling her everything. (laughs) Right, that's a good point. Evo does have an underwater base. Like Nim said, sci-fi novel come to life. Uh... Welcome to the mansion. <laughs> uh, Nim, go ahead and roll negotiation. Uh, take a plus two because of giving the gun back. That's five hits. She looks around. She has the gun in her hand. Fingers off the trigger, but it's like kind of tapping on the side of the gun. And then without putting the gun away, she turns to you, Nim, and goes, Mansion? The Whitmore Estate. Wait, you're kidding. So we told you about clones in an underwater base, (laughs) and that's what you're surprised about, is that we're at the Whitmore Estate. (laughs) No, I'm just trying to focus on the things that I can actually, like, grasp. This toxic spirit, you were saying Zachariah may have gotten uh, into bed with it? Possibly quite literally. (laughs) What? Yes, it, it appears that way. Look. We're not just tracking down Evo. We had a rogue runner of our own get corrupted by the spirit, and we're trying to track him down before he hurts anyone else. He killed a lot of innocent people, and I imagine he's not done yet. So all of this is connected. Zachariah, Great Corrupter, Mizashi Clan. Mizashi Clan were trying to stop the Great Corrupter. Dot works for the Mizashi Clan. Your partner was corrupted, possibly, by the Great Corrupter while supposedly making a deal with the Yakuza. And Dart is also looking for Evo, who is trying to kill our friend, Mouse. I wave sadly. (laughs) Boomer pats her shoulder. So we weren't trying to play you. 
we're just being cautious about who we can trust. These these sort of things you can't necessarily trust anybody. But Brent allowed us to bring you back here. Obviously, you're good people if he trusts you that much. And I know you'll want to do the right thing because we're trying to do the right thing. It might not seem like it, drugging you and all, but you got to trust us. We've all lost a friend to the Great Corruptor. It's, it's always ugly. So we know exactly where you're at with Zachariah. We find Evo. We, then we find the Great Corruptor. And then we bring it to justice for all the people they've taken from us. Jason, Kashmir, Zechariah. Oh, girl, that son of a bitch. She raises her pistol, holsters it, and now she's like buttoning it. And she goes, so I'm to understand there's a secret Evo base under Lake Washington that is turning out clones and is being hunted by an assassin who works for a secret clan of assassins that's trying to stop an evil toxic spirit that turns people into evil people and a shadow running team living in Lawrence Whitmore's manor is at the center of all of it. And she finishes putting her gun away. Yeah, you pretty much yes. got it. And uh, with all of this, you expect me to believe those Shadowrunners with a heart? And she grins. I mean, I understand that's, you know. Um, also, Mouse is very shot in the leg. Would you mind if I use the table you're on? Uh, she's off the table at this point, but... Yeah. Hey, I'm just gonna... Together, we're gonna work on that bullet wound you've got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you keep picking the easiest part to digest, but yeah... That's what we're asking you to believe. And she kind of pinches the bridge of her nose, nods and goes, I don't see any angle where telling me any of this gets you guys anywhere. (laughs) This this has to be the truth. (laughs) So you're staying? I say looking at her upside down as I'm laying on the table. Yeah, I guess I'm staying. Good, that's good, because you don't really have any other place to go, and they didn't really say that, but Evo's definitely going to kill you now, so you should stay here. (laughs) Great. Ow, Bumbles, stop. (laughs) I'm not great at this. (laughs) Sorry, we kind of put that target on your back. That's Yeah. It comes with the job. No, it comes with being my friend, actually. How about I show you where the kitchen is? Get some... Hey, be easy with Mouse. It's not painless to repair a bullet wound while you're awake. (laughs) Not with that attitude, it's not. (laughs) All right, let's Um, get you some food and some drink. I think you need some of the latter after all this. Bumbles, if you want to roll first aid to try and uh, heal up Mouse. Yeah, do I get any benefits from this very advanced medical facility? You do, you get a plus three. Can I help him? Does he have skill ratings and first aid? I could help you probably better than you can help me. Sure. Because I'm just smart. All right, Mouse, if, if he's just serving as your nurse while you work on yourself. Yeah, I'm such a badass. There's uh, a mirror. <laughs> you, you, with the enhanced setting of this infirmary and the fact that you're operating on yourself, 
before wound modifiers, mm-hmm. you're at a minus one. I'm I'm not very good at first aid historically, and that continues. <laughs> <laughs> Just hold the mirror still. Got it. <laughs> eight. You got eight hits. Mm-hmm. You heal up six physical damage. So with uh, the advanced auto dock arms and uh, Bumble's moral holding, support, <laughs> holding a mirror, giving you moral support, you're able to uh, uh, clean out any fragments of the bullet in your uh, uh, through your leg and uh, infuse it with sin skin so that it can heal up naturally. And you uh, are pretty good. You guys, as uh, Boomer is walking out with uh, Maria, uh, you guys get a message from Bryn saying, um, time to trade. Cool. We do the handoff. Uh, he meets you guys as you're heading into like the main, the main like foyer. And uh, he, uh, he walks up to Maria Silva and he goes, uh, Maria. You can call me Pretty B, and uh, uh, puts out a hand and flashes her a smile, and she sighs and goes, "So, wait, I recognize you from the the will Whitmore's will it was it was public knowledge. You're you're Bryn Hawthorne." He goes, "You can call me Pretty B." <laughs> uh, it's actually Brent. It's a long awkward thing. <laughs> Boomer says that Bryn looks at Nim and goes, "You got like two more." <laughs> I'm not doing it. I've, I don't know what you're talking. Clean about. up your mess. <laughs> <laughs> All you gave me was about? a towel. Okay, I had to dry my own self off. <laughs> and, what? And uh, he he uh, he walks up to Maria uh, and is like. Allow me to give you a tour of the manor, since I understand you're going to be staying here for a little bit. And uh, she, like, sighs and goes, yeah, sounds like. And uh, they go walking up the stairs. Uh, So, Boomer, I've got something sad to tell you. Yeah, what's that? (laughs) So, remember when Bryn told you his name was Brent and he was really sad that no one called him Brent and yada, yada, yada? Yeah, yeah, I've been working really hard. I've I've been working my hoop off trying to... Trying to correct everybody in a polite way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it turns out that was me playing a <laughs> prank on Bryn. And maybe you. So his name is really, really Bryn. So you can you can stop calling him Brent. Otherwise, you know, there might be something else coming down the line for me. And, you know, I'm not ready. So I got to prepare first. I, I've, I've been correcting it. You know how much of a jackass you made me look like? Oh, no, it's been great. It's been so funny. Um, no. It's been really no. awesome. I'm going to keep calling him Brent. <laughs> you what? and me never had this talk. Wait. <laughs> wait, Boomer, and wait. No. Boomer walks off. <laughs> uh, yeah, Boomer goes walking into the uh, drawing room that D'Artagnan is waiting in. Yeah, we go there. Then talk to D'Artagnan. All right, let's cut to the chase. That was fragging awesome. You were just like, and, and oh my God, that was amazing. How did you do that? Luck, mostly. Um, and he's humble about it. D'Artagnan like grins and then uh, looks at Nim 
and finally for the first time notices stuck in her jacket just peeking out the handle of his uh of his wakazashi and uh he raises an eyebrow and he goes can i see that give it to him i think we need to talk first just give him the sword no boomer i'm not gonna give him the sword Remember the hole when they ask for it, yeah. you just give it thing? I, I know. I remember that. I think we happen to be in an okay place at the moment, and I think that there are some things that we need to talk about first. Dart, Dart sits there, and he looks like he's waiting. We need to talk about Zachariah Wells and the driver of the Hellhound. You see, that's that's not really the way we do things around here. We don't stab people who have their hands up and are unarmed. And it sounds like this could be the start of a beautiful friendship between us. But the thing is, we need you to follow our code. What she's saying, mate, is this isn't a normal shadow running team. We're we're kind of a big picture company here. And uh, a guy just driving the truck, he's got family all that if we erase the tapes all he's got is his testimony and honestly testimonies aren't that reliable in court so you'll be fine you don't need to shed any more blood than necessary okay one warrior to another and uh he hasn't he hasn't broke broken eye contact with nim as you're talking to him boomer and uh he nods slowly and goes i'm good at following codes all right now give him the sword well, okay. Technically, that wasn't a yes. I'm going to need a hard yes from you. <laughs> <laughs> he smiles and he goes, I like you. And I'll do whatever I can to make sure that any death ideal is warranted. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and he reaches out a hand. All right. I'll pull out the sword, hand it over. He'll take it and, like, kneel down before you and, like, draw it out of the like makeshift sheath that uh that maria has put it in and then he inspects the blade and he lays that kind of like generic sheath on the ground and then slips it into his sheath that's on his back then he stands back up and he goes Bryn spoke to me about the driver of the hellhound though he didn't mention zachariah if it eases your uh your conscience zachariah did try to end me yeah, I mean, he was possessed by an evil toxic spirit, so that makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll give you that one. <laughs> no one's no one's blaming you there, mate. You, I, I got to be fair. Like, what you said before was he didn't run, and that kind of makes you sound like a bad guy. I'm not going to run through the optics of the situation every time with you, but, like, next time, maybe be like, he was trying to murder me, and then we'll, like, get it. I'm not used to having to explain killing to... Shadowrunners, I'll have to get used to that. Yeah, there's a lot more oversight here than generally out on the streets. We got forms and everything. <laughs> we have forms? Oh my. <laughs> you, you not been filling out your DD317s? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes, I have filled all of them out. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I really believe you. I write a 
an email to Bryn apologizing if he could just send me the form. I'm happy to do all the backlog that I owe him. <laughs> Somewhere in the manor. <sighs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in the drawing room, uh, D'Artagnan uh, says, uh, like I said before, we're bound now. We worked together. We protected each other. And in battle, I saw each and one of you for who you really are. And I brought this information to the Council of Elders. And if you'll accompany me, I can take you to my home. Yeah, let's go. Um, could I have like 12 or 18 hours to just fix my very short cause? The Council doesn't appreciate waiting longer than is necessary. But I can assure you, where we're going is the safest place in existence. That doesn't sound like a thing. That's ominous. But okay. I'm intrigued. Okay. What happened at Detective Silva's apartment can't happen where we're going. All right, you're just okay. going to keep saying things that don't actually answer the question, but do make me want to go there more. <laughs> <laughs> he, grin <Yeah. laughs> he smiles and goes, so shall we get moving? Sure. Bumbles, I'll help you work on the cars when we get back. Let's go get this meeting over with. Not that I'm dreading the meetings, just saying I don't want to keep your masters waiting. Yeah, we go to, um, we go, we take spot and drive. D'Artagnan. Do we drive there? Yes. I don't know. Do we need roads where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, D'Artagnan, D'Artagnan leads the way on his motorcycle. Uh, yeah, you guys drive for a bit. Uh, you actually leave Bellevue, enter uh, Tacoma, skirt around Renton, and then Auburn, and enter Puyallup. Uh, you see as like the ash, like it's like an ashy kind of uh, downpour coming down in uh, Puyallup. Uh, you guys drive through a portion of Puyallup, and then uh, you actually get off-road a little bit. And uh, you're driving on, like, a dirt road. And at this point, it's been, like, an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. Uh, you guys are leaving UCAS and, uh, and entering the Native American nations. You get a little further into that. Um, whatever route he took, you seem to bypass any border patrol or checkpoint. And uh, you see uh, uh, you're not too far from Mount Rainier. Um, and, uh, he then pulls off of the dirt road and kind of off roads just a little bit, like completely, uh, and then stops his motorcycle and, uh, you stop spot and, uh, he goes, we'll have to walk the rest of the way from here. You're very sure I don't need my drones? Very. Okay. What kind of matrix is there around here? It's bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> cool, cool. It's like, it's like. A pretty significant amount of noise. Um, okay, cool. Can I just like reduce the noise just in general? Yeah, yeah. Oh. You can you can work on that. Um, you guys walk for another ten minutes through uh, the forest. Um, it's very very dark now. It's evening. Um, there's still some ash in this area. Most of the ash from Mount Rainier uh, goes up and travels all the way to like Puyallup before it drops. Um, but, you know, this area still has, like, a little bit of a sprinkling from it. Um, and uh, you guys break into, like, a little clearing. Not a very large one. Uh, maybe 
15 feet in diameter uh, in this forest. And there's like some boulders scattered around. Um, you can see the stars up above you. And uh, D'Artagnan walks into the middle of it and goes, all right, we're here. And uh, he pulls off the crystal necklace that he wears. And he kneels down and sinks it into the ground where he's standing. And uh, the clearing you guys are walking in lights up with like a turquoise light. Uh, painting the symbol, uh, painting a bunch of different symbols in various different ancient languages. Uh, and, uh, some that aren't even languages are just symbols. It looks super arcane just in its, in its, uh, easily identifiable as like some kind of like ritual circle. Uh, and, uh, it lights up and he pulls the, the crystal out. And as he's putting it back around his neck, the lights, uh, that are like kind of cutting through the grass around you guys, uh, gets brighter and brighter until you can't see anything. And then there's this like high pitch whining noise that builds up, uh, pressing in on your ears and you feel this like pressure on your head and, uh, this like this disorienting, like spinning feeling that like makes you feel like you're about to throw up. And then it all goes that like high pitch whining goes and, uh, and you guys are no longer standing in the woods. Instead, you are standing on the top of a similar-sized uh, cylindrical stone pillar that is one of eight stone pillars across a lake from what seems to be a giant underground city. Uh, huh. Yeah, you guys are all very disoriented by this. That's new. What the frag? Did not expect that. <laughs> oh, don't. Oh, don't do that. You're going to make me. Oh, oh saved it. <laughs> I suppose it can be disorienting the first time. Uh, Could have warned us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you guys are elevated up um, maybe like 80 feet in the air. Um on top of this large stone pillar and there seem to be eight of them kind of in a row. Uh, uh, you can see looking way up the high, high ceiling of the, the cave that houses this underground city. Um, the city is across from you guys. There's a, an underground lake, relatively sizable lake uh, with a, a single thick stone bridge uh, seeming to be natural in formation uh, that goes from where you guys are on these pillars across the lake and into the city. Uh, the city is built on an incline um, uh, and looks – it's large uh, and it looks like it could house easily 5,000 to 10,000 people. Uh, it is ancient looking. Um and at the very, very top of uh, the incline, uh, most elevated out of all the buildings, seems to be a large temple of sorts. It has, uh, it has uh, intricate stone uh, columns in front of it. And at the very tip of that building is something that is glowing a bright, sharp turquoise light uh, that seems to like shine out across the city. And even from this distance, it seems to be shining into your eyes a little bit. Um, the... City, you can see lower to the base what looks like a town square, and from that town square, like a web, are several uh, 
are, are tons and tons of streets that wind th- in and out of the city in like a haphazard formation. Um, and f- also from the center square, there seems to be a large, somewhat elevated staircase that goes all the way up the incline to that large temple looking building. Also jutting out from either side of the, uh, uh, of the temple, um, is uh, what looks like some kind of stone walkway carved into the side of the side of this uh, cave that wraps in a semicircle, uh, so it it ends flanking the lake, and all along those walkways you see uh, um, various what look like stone guard towers. Um, there you can also see movement in the town square. You can see movement on the walk, uh, the, the, uh, on the walkways above. Uh, and it seems like the only way to get onto those walkways is to go through that top building. Um, also the walkway to the left and the walkway to the right have, uh, large archways, uh, that go up maybe like 30 feet in height, uh, that lead into other parts of this cave beyond this underground city. And he goes, welcome to Kothan Kair. Where are we? I mean, I know you said Kothan Care. Uh, where is Kothan Care? Relatively several miles below the point where we were just standing. Oh. Yeah, it works for me. Come on, follow me. And he goes to the edge of the platform, and there's a, basically a winding staircase going down this column that you guys got to walk down. Cool. <clears throat> we follow. And as you start walking down, he goes... Uh, the only way I can think to describe Kothan Kair is ancient, beyond time. It predates all known history, if the stories are to be believed. As far as uh, my knowledge goes, the Mazashi clan is a relatively new addition to the Kair. Uh, the Mazashi clan was formed in the early 1300s. Uh, at the height of their power, they pulled the strings of feudal Japan, uh, protecting those that served their purposes and weakening those that didn't. Uh, the ancient scrolls of the Mazashi clan claim that one of its founding members was known as Siro the Immortal, and it has since been confirmed that he was, in fact, an immortal elf. However, he was killed in the 1860s which is when the clan was nearly wiped out by one of its rivals. Uh, using the knowledge passed down by Siro, the remnants of the Mazashi clan, only roughly a dozen in number, fled to the fabled haven of Kothan Kair. And uh, that's where the Mazashi clan has laid dormant, uh, at least until the awakening. Apparently the reason for that is because the key they used to enter Kothan Kair and he taps his, his gem, ceased to work until magic returned to the world. Was, was the city empty when the Mizashi clan got here? No, far from it. Kothan Kair is one of many hundreds, I believe, cities. They were called Kairs that were built in the fourth world. The stories speak of horrors from distant metaplanes that entered the world to destroy it completely. And these cares uh, were a means to protect civilization. Many of them fell. Uh, some of them have been discovered, though most archaeologists have no idea what their true purpose was. Uh, Mouse, this seems to ring a bell. Just since you've watched enough news, you feel like you've seen it at least at once or twice, like 
some news report about like underground ruins discovered scientists ponder what these civilizations were like <laughs> these cares were built at the height of magic in the fourth world and this one in particular was designed to sustain and lay dormant long after magic ebbed though when the mizashi clan arrived a large part of this city's population was in fact in stasis because without magic kothan care could only self-sustain the noble houses and as one could expect the idea of a peaceful coalition of nobility is a fantasy so throughout the millennia underground conflicts both subtle and overt ensued over control of the care by the time the mazashi clan arrived the care was primed for them to do what they do best they orchestrated events and conflicts between rival rulers so that it benefited the clan. It wasn't long before the descendants of the clan had earned a place on the Council of Elders. Uh, around the time of the Awakening, the old glyphs and power sources that had since gone cold began to come to life, and the leaders of the care were luckily in a period of unprecedented unity, so the rest of the population was in fact brought out of stasis. And with the blessings of the elders, people are allowed to integrate with, the modern, with modern society, though a significant amount of the population has no interest in leaving the care. This life is all they've really known. The world above is foreign and strange. And as he says this, you guys kind of look, you're still like winding your way down this pillar. Um, but when you like soak up the, the view of the city, when when you look at a normal city in the sixth world, what you tend to see a highly technologically advanced city that is struggling to integrate magic into its infrastructure. What you see when you look at Kothan Care is the opposite: uh, a city built on what is very clearly magic um, that seems to be attempting to integrate technology at a slow pace. Uh, on the lake, you do see some semi-modern boats. Um, various uh, households seem to have some form of like matrix connection between them. Um, uh, you also do notice, I failed to describe earlier, uh, three very, very large natural columns that seem like a city block in diameter that stick out from from three different positions in the uh in the city uh breaking up the uh the buildings a bit and they reach all the way up the miles to what seems to be the ceiling of the uh of this underground cave and like i said i was an outsider i'm not ancient or mystical i'm i was found in the woods when i was a child south of pialop a member of the Mazashi clan. Uh, the Mazashi clan is, out of all of the population, most comfortable venturing into the outside world. My master took pity on me, collected me, brought me here, and I was raised amongst the uh, Kothan Kayer. Uh You guys get to the, to the ground floor, uh, and now your uh, D'Artagnan is leading you to the large stone bridge that goes across this lake. Uh, the water of this lake, beautifully clear. 
Um, and uh, this whole this whole city isn't lit by that one single turquoise crystal. It does shine a slight turquoise light over everything you look at, um, but most of the uh, uh, the cave is lit by like warm colors as like torches seem to burn in all the households uh, on those large columns that reach up uh, along the watchtowers. Basically. Uh, 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 Hundreds of thousands of torches keep this place uh, lit. Does your crystal, does it interact with the with the large one in that temple over there? Is that how you enter Kothan Care? Yes. That is, uh, that is the magic that allows transportation from here to the outside world. I'm taking you to meet the Grand Master. A council of nine elders dictate the fate of Kothan Care. Uh, and long ago, before even the awakening, uh, an agreement was struck that Kothan Care would remain secret. I can guess as to what those reasons are, but I assume the Grand Master will be able to answer those questions better than me. I'm sorry I wasn't more clear about where I was taking you, but half of the fun is in the presentation. He smiles. Yeah, that's no trick. This is awesome. And, uh, yeah, he starts leading you guys. You guys enter. You see, like, people on the boats look up at you. Uh, uh, many of the people who seem to glance at you, like, soak in, like, Mouse's arm uh, and, like, any other overt technology you guys have. Not, like, with disdain or, or suspicion even, just, like, with curiosity. Like, they don't see it very often. And uh, so you see, like, some people are on the lake. There seem to be, like, kids jumping in. Uh, having some fun on the docks, uh, you get to the town square. There's a there's like a marketplace there. Uh, people like trading food and and uh, and trinkets and like re- you know necessities uh, with each other. And uh, D'Artagnan leads you leads you past that through the town square to the large, very very long, straight staircase that takes you to uh, the building at the top of the incline. I don't know. It's a long walk. I don't know if you guys have more questions for D'Artagnan. <laughs> I'm so fucking out of breath at this point. I There's no... Uh, until we get to the top, I'm just hoofing it. You does, need me to carry you? No. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, Bumbles. Well, I'll ask when it's time. <laughs> Does the crystal have other magical properties? Is it just for transportation or does it guard the city? That is beyond my knowledge. Uh, while Kothan Care is a excellent, safe place to live uh, with pretty unprecedented peace, it is a place that is built upon a compartmentalization of knowledge. As an outsider, like I said before, there are aspects of even the Mazashi clan, let alone Kothan Kair, that I will simply never know. Uh, the true nature of that crystal being one of the better kept secrets of, of the city. Ah, gotcha. I'm just taking in the sights, and I'm sure all the residents of Kothan Kair are taking in this strange looking beast. Ah, you say that. However, on your way up the stairs, you do glimpse more than a couple Oni. Uh, it seems like the me- meta-humanity as a whole is very widely 
expressed in Kothan Kair. Uh, almost to the point where you think like there might be an even distribution of human, dwarf, orc, elf, and uh, even metasapiens. Uh, you guys see a couple Sasquatches and centaurs. Uh, a pixie or two fly by. But I see other Oni. Yeah. <gasps> guys, we could probably move our base of operations here. <laughs> I don't think we can afford real estate. <laughs> Also, I gave you, I granted, uh, I managed to grant you an audience with the council. I don't have lodgings for you beyond <laughs> my cot in the in the Mazashi clan. So what you say? That's fine, is... mate. If I can just have some time to look for a nice, lovely <laughs> oni lady, you know, that's fine. We'll we'll do the meeting and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> so what you're saying is, when we're done with the meeting, we go. Back down the stairs, across the bridge, up the stairs. No, I, I wasn't lying when I said I had a place for you to stay tonight. Good. <laughs> As you're walking up, there's like a pause and he goes, it is back down the stairs. And he points. He point, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he points. It's not all the way back down the stairs because this, this large staircase that leads directly up isn't only accessible by the uh, town square. Small staircases uh, built into basically the foundations, like uh, the the beams that hold this, this large stone staircase like in place. Uh, connect it to various parts of the city. Um, but he does point like over and there's like a large, uh, kind of almost like Japanese style looking. It kind of sets apart from everything else. Everything else looks fantastical. Everything else looks sporethial almost. Um, but uh, the, he points to a very, very obvious like feudal Japan designed with some, with some like elvish uh, uh, twi- twists to it um, building. And he, he's like, that's where the Mizashi clan calls home. Great. Great. Let's just get to the top. Oh, you'll be All right, fine. Dear. What's the nightlife like here? You know, let's just get to the <laughs> meeting. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, after a long, arduous walk, you guys get to the top of the stairs. Uh, and you're standing amongst the large columns that make up the facade of this, uh, this building. Um, and he goes... This is called the Temple of Elders. Uh, most of the decisions that dictate our lives are made, and the elders can always uh, arrange to lend their ears to any citizen in need. Come. And he, uh, he pushes open the large double doors uh, made out of stone uh, to enter. Um, and you enter a large chamber with kind of dimly lit torches wrapping around it. It's circular. Um, and uh, there's elevated stone thrones uh, with one in the middle jutting up higher than the others. Uh, there's nine in total. Uh, and they seem to look into like this open uh, stone area that you are standing. Um, and there's a couple doors underneath these. Uh, elevated thrones um, and uh, D'Artagnan leads you to the one underneath the uh, tallest throne. I follow. And uh, he pushes it open. You guys walk down a short hallway into uh, into a room uh, with like a, a fur rug spread out in the in the middle. Uh, seems to be a saber-toothed tiger. Um, and 
uh, a fireplace burning low, um, all sorts of strange artifacts littering the walls, and uh, a large what looks like a tree trunk turned into a desk, um, uh, kind of sitting there, um, and it's got like a. Uh, some scrolls and stuff like wrapped up laying around on it. And, um, uh, D'Artagnan stops and goes, uh, you can have a seat where you like. Um, the grandmaster wanted to speak to the four of you alone. So I will take my leave. I find the comfiest looking seat and I collapse in it. I'll be, uh, I'll be waiting outside. Well, thanks for the tour, mate. We'll see you in a bit. Good luck. And uh, he walks out. Well, that was ominous. It's probably fine. Still so got what do you belt. think the Oni population is <laughs> like here? Uh, Sorry, we need to stay on topic. <laughs> you know, like orcs, but red or blue. <laughs> right. And, you know, female. Because let's face it, I'm not the prettiest to look at. Oh, Boomer, don't say that. Well, it's true. I'm not going to lie to myself. I think you look great. Well, thank you. Is the, like, desk chair, is it facing away from us ominously for, like, a dramatic turn? (laughs) Or is there just no one (laughs) at this desk? No, uh, so this large tree trunk turned into, like, a table has, uh, has, like, chairs all the way around it. Um, the one that would be considered like the head cause it is across from the door and slightly larger with a back. Uh, it, um, it is empty. You can see clearly. And, uh, but you do hear, uh, footsteps approaching down the hallway. Cool. It doesn't sound like footsteps that are wearing shoes. It sounds like barefoot steps on stone. And, uh, the door, the wooden door opens up. And in walks uh, what is probably an elderly elf. Um, that doesn't mean that he looks like old in the way that a human would look old, uh, but he has like some wrinkles, uh, and he is an elf. Uh, and uh, he has kind of a, a, a like a silvery gray uh, goatee and like messy kind of silvery gray hair pulled back into a, a ponytail. Uh, he's wearing some some plain robes uh, that seem to be made out of like natural materials. Lots of uh, trinkets and ne- uh, gems like around a necklace uh, on his neck. Um, his hands uh, part from in front of him as he walks through and closes the door. Uh, his fingernails and his toes, you know, everything looks like he doesn't look dirty, but he's he's got like some earth underneath his fingers. Uh, and he shuts the door, turns to you guys, and he has golden eyes. Uh, as he pans, <laughs> hey. as, <laughs> as he looks over all of you and bumbles, you recognize this man. Don't you work at a Talismongas? How, how do you commute? <laughs> uh, he, he smiles, uh, like warm smile and like nods, uh, and goes, I, that was a bit of deception on my part. Uh, I don't work there. That shop didn't exist. Right. Magic fuckery. Yes. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) I'm surprised you remember that, Bumbles. I don't forget. Wait, you guys have met? Yeah, he sold me um, some special reagents for cashmere. 
Yes. He if, didn't use them. No. Uh, I, uh, I, f- I feared he may have succumbed. I was trying to assist him in what ways I could. It didn't work. Yes. And he actually looks like a little ashamed at that. And he goes, as it were, I'm glad the four of you have finally find your, found your way here. Well, what was in the reagents? Is there something I'm supposed to be putting in my reagents? <laughs> he, he smiles and he goes, no, these are reagents that were designed to reward him should he stave off the temptation to succumb to the great corrupter. Oh. And uh, he goes, please, have a seat and allow me to introduce myself properly. I am Grandmaster Grundlefug. You may call me Bartholo if you like. I lead Kothan Kayer. And you guys all take a seat. And that's where we'll end this session. Grundlefug! Grundlefug! This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by the Tops Company Incorporated. Shadowrun is a trademark of the Tops Company Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go to www.shadowruntabletop.com for more information.